Welcome to WebRush, the weekly talk show that brings you stories of real-world development from industry experts and developers like you and me. Each week, Ward Bell, Dan Walleen, Craig Shoemaker, and John Papa find out what it takes to write, deploy, and maintain apps that stand up to the demands of the real world. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to WebRush. This is episode 188. Wearing a vest is in style, so says Eviatar Alouche. And today I'm John Papa along with my co-hosts, Dan Walling, Craig Shoemaker, and Ward Bell. Dan, you started off our pre-show with a story about your past. And I think you need to share a little of that story with our audience because it was fascinating. Uh, so I'm a shorts fan. Uh, Craig and Ward can verify this because I think every time you've ever seen me, I'm in shorts just about, unless I have to give a talk or something. I, I think that's so long, true. It pretty much. So long story short, in high school one day, uh, just all of a sudden they banned shorts. Like you can't wear shorts to school. And I was like, no, because the the girls, they were able to wear mini skirts. So we we actually organized that the girls would bring in mini skirts we had to work with sizing on this of course but and the next day or next week or whatever it was <laughs> all of us guys that wanted shorts we wore mini skirts to school and we actually had the local paper come and take a picture in front of the school and needless to say within an hour of sitting down in class i was called into the principal's office and that part didn't go well but we got our shorts back but dan were I you did. the ringleader that, that i mean i'm imagining you as the <laughs> ringleader of this operation I was. <laughs> I was. I, I got the detention, but it was totally worth it because I got my shorts back. So, you know. Well, for everybody who's wondering, the reason this topic came up is because this whole show is going to be about vests and wearing vests. And Dan's like, I don't wear vests, but I have worn something else. So. <laughs> <laughs> that was a one time thing, by the way, folks. It's never happened uh -huh. since. Well, yeah. When they finally let you out of juvie uh, a couple of years later, you. <laughs> And I'm sure it was pre-internet days, right? So there's no no photos floating oh, yeah. around? Definitely pre-internet days, thankfully. Thankfully. Well, I want to welcome onto the show as well our guest today, who is the creator and front engineer at Facebook of the Vest Validations Framework, Evutar. How are you doing? Uh, very good, very good. Um, thank you for having me. Now, thank you for joining us here. And for those out there who want to learn a little bit more about our guest today, Evitar is a front-end engineer at Facebook. He's the author of the Vest Validations Framework, which is our main topic today, and he's very passionate about open source development. He obsesses over API design and serves as a mentor for developers in their journey into open source. And you can find Evitar up on Twitter as you take a look at our show notes page, uh, another place you can find him. We'll also drop in links to the Vest Framework and other places you can find his work. So again, welcome to the show. So Evitar, let's kick things off with, tell us a bit more about what exactly is the VEST Validations Framework for those of us who may not know anything about it. Okay, so VEST uh, is a form validations framework that's highly inspired by the syntax and style of unit testing libraries like Mocha or Jest, so hence the name, uh, as in Jest is a JavaScript test framework or library. VEST is a validation test library, and it takes the declarative syntax and style that you have for valid uh, for unit tests, like a suite with a set of tests, um, for the same for the different world of form validation. Because I thought it made a lot of sense to me uh, when the idea came up. So, so I have to ask you then: 
and excuse the pun in advance because I can't, I just can't resist. You're saying there's vest or jest will help you test, but which is best? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> no rapper can't rap quite like you can. John's here all week. <laughs> so is, is vest, in all seriousness, is vest a replace, not a replacement, is, is it like the same kind of thing as jest or is it an addition, would you use it with jest? Um, so it's a completely different thing, I think. Um, so you would use jest to test your um, JavaScript code and make sure it works correctly. And when in the world of uh, unit tests in form validation in your library or in your apps, what you want to do is take some user input. For example, you would usually use like Yup, or you would use some other validation um, functions for is email or is longer than or field is empty. And you would use that in production in order to make sure the user input is correct and is valid um, so that it's okay to submit to the server. So, so if I understand correctly, it's a... Uh, you kind of write you, you write user entry for you know if you got a user entry form of some form some some sometime it it's meant to validate the fields the user uh, data entry fields on that form and it's uh, and it ties in and can be used in a variety of frameworks to do that kind of thing application frameworks or even vanilla JavaScript is that the idea like first name or last name or something yeah and even multiple tests for um, each of the fields yes so I would. Um, so a lot of a lot of application frameworks don't have any kind of built-in validation feature. You kind of have to. You, you, that's one of the things that you're expected to write as a developer. Is that that true? Like I think that's true of React and and many mm-hmm. of them. Yeah, and um, actually, actually, even forms are not necessarily native to the web. I mean, they are today, but. I think they were not even added to HTML on version one. They were only added on version two. So even today, uh, writing forms and validating them feels like an afterthought. Yeah. Um, so people who are from the Angular world will be more acquainted with how, uh, you know, because they have this sort of forms library that lays on top of it that has a built-in hook for validation even then, though, you're really uh, now it's up to you to figure out how the heck you're going to put together a suite of validations and uh, hook into that framework. And so uh, I don't actually see an Angular example here, but I, I would think that this would still there would there would be a way to take this approach and wire it into there anyway. Um, Sorry, I got sideways on that, but just trying to get the lay of the land and sort of, because uh, I don't see this enough where people say, how am I going to organize my attack on validation? A lot, most of the time, it's just sort of sprinkled ad hoc into the form code uh, and good luck with that. So uh, you've decided to really take that on as, as a thing unto itself. How do I manage my data entry validations. Is that a fair statement? Uh, yes, yes. One of the um, most difficult things to do when writing form validation um, is understand what the structure should be. You don't really have a coherent or consistent structure to work with. And as you said, you just uh, slam stuff into your form, in your, into your feature code, like inside a change handler or stuff like that. And 
you eventually make it work, but with a lot of effort and a lot of spaghetti code. Um, and then when you come back to maintain it or add new fields or make some changes, then you have to like untangle everything because everything is feature specific and rethink the way you used to think like um, five months ago or a year ago or another developer entirely. And I decided, well, form validation should not reside inside the feature code. It should be completely somewhere else. Um, and then it's really easy to like disassemble, reuse, rewrite, read. And like, it's really simple this way. So John, one of the things I like about AG Grid, which is a, a data grid component for the kind of complex uh, grid scenarios that we encounter all the time in enterprise apps, one of the things I really like about it is that it works for a variety of frameworks, Angular, React, Vue, or, or just vanilla JS. Does that ring a bell for you? Oh, it really does. There's all these different companies that I work with where they have no choice but to use a lot of these different tools because they have different teams working on them. So being able to port their code or share that code and that technical investment they have is really important to them. Yeah, well, it's important to us, uh, ideally, we're a consulting company. And, uh, you know, we never know what our client's going to want to use, Angular, React, Vue, but they're all going to need a grid. And it's great to be able to reach for uh, the one grid that works everywhere, AG Grid. You know, at, at any size company, too, because you could have these teams that maybe they only use one framework, but eventually they're going to switch to another one and be able to take that investment again and use it, reuse it is really nice. So if a multi-framework data grid makes sense to you, please go check out AG Grid at ag-grid.com. So I know, Ward, uh, you might know a thing or two about forms. Like maybe you do this every day, just about, it seems like. At least that's what I hear about. I hear the the war stories from time to time, right? Yeah, uh, that's true. You just nailed, though, um, Evitar, the problem I've always had, too, because I've also done a lot with forms over the years. And that is, first off, it's all mixed in with the rest of your code, which is mm -hmm. just a nightmare to maintain. And then everybody's like, oh yeah, validation, it's easy. You know, it's required or it's a min length or max length or regex and that's it. Like that's where they stop. But then as you mentioned, some fields have multiple validations and you almost have like groupings. And I'm just looking through for those that are listening, you can go to vestjs.dev. And at the very bottom, there's a try it live and I'm looking through, and first off, it looks like writing a unit test almost, which almost, which I really like because it's like comfortable. But second off, I noticed that like you have, you know, test, the username, and then I'm gonna enforce is not empty or it's longer than, or and then you even have async stuff, it looks like. So walk us through what are some of the main features? Because I I highlighted that it's required or it's a min length. I mean, those are just kind of basics, right? But where does mm -hmm. this take it above and beyond that? Um, so I think one of the main features that makes Vest useful is not in is not inside the validation itself, but is in the insides of Vest. And when I started writing Vest, it was pretty much what you described. Um, we had a suite of different tests, multiple tests also, and we could set warnings and we could set errors and we can do async stuff. Um, but then you would have to manage yourself what fields were touched and what fields were already tested and what is the current validation state. And 
somewhere when COVID started um, and I was stuck at home, I decided, okay, I think I'm going to remove a lot of this friction for developers. And what I decided to do is add an internal state for VEST. So now whenever you make a change or, or validate a field, first of all, it does not validate the entire suite. It only validates the fields that you interacted with. And then it retains it inside internally. And then it handles, for example, race conditions. So what happened if I validate one field that is async and then I start uh, validate a different field before that previous validation completed. So it does a lot of that to handle the interactivity for you and not just the validation. That, that's awesome. I mean, a lot of those things mm-hmm. you just mentioned are painful to do on your own. In fact, I noticed in your ASIC example, there's a test.memo. And that kind of highlights, I think, what you said, that you don't have to redo everything. So excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you give us like a practical example of, of how someone might use an async validation? Like, you know, you're trying to do this and this is when you would use it. So the most obvious example people usually have for async validation is usually, and I will just say, is usually when you want to get some information from the server to perform your validation. A very common example is to check if a user is already registered with a certain email. So when they type their email address, you go out to the server and make sure that the user is not already, um, the the email or username are not already registered to to the system. Um, And then you can present it back. Now, uh, what Dan said about memoization is, well, I type my username and then I type something else and then I remove some characters. I don't want to go back to the server if I already know that validation for that username failed. So we can already memoize a result by a specific value, like by the input that was there inside before that. Interesting. Yeah, you know, the async validation, important feature. Uh, what is this? You must have a, there must be a way to render the validated state. Like, you know, yeah, either this is valid or there's an error and I got to present it. But while it's out there, and, I, and I'm sure you'll tell us about that, but... But when you have these async things, there's this kind of in-between state while you don't know it pending. Um, So is there a notion of pending and I can display that while it goes and figures it out? So internally, VEST does register a test as pending, Um, but but in its output, it does not really tell you what is pending and what is not because it is mostly... Um, a business logic thing inside your app. I mean, you know if the username should be pending or not. Um, and what I suggest, and you can also see, in, uh, see it in the example um, on that um, playground in the best documentation, is that when I t- start typing in the username, I set the pending state to true. And then when the validation is complete, I set it to false. And that's all I do in terms of the that in the UI state, but that takes care of the rest. Okay, so I, I have to wait for a period of time while you resolve it. And then when you finally have resolved it, I'll know about it. Somehow Vest will tell me and I can update the screen and say, thumbs up, you did, you're okay, or no, it failed. Exactly. How do I wire my, you know, my validation results into the screen? Or how would you recommend that we um, do that? So... It really depends on you, how you present stuff and your um, UI framework of choice. So this, I have have zero um, 
zero opinion about, but I do give you some helpers or helper utilities that allow you to specify how stuff should look. So um, this is not a UI framework. It's like logics only, but it does come with a few parsers that give you like a proper class name for each validation state. And then you can say, okay, um, in case the validation is failing, I want to show like the error class name. And in case the validation is successful, I want to show the success class name. And in case it's warning, I want to show a warning class name. And then you just ask the class names function, well, what should be the class names for username field or for the passwords field? Okay, so I've got something that Vest gives me that tells me the validation state at any particular moment, and then I can respond to that, uh, drawing the OI however I want. Um, validation state is one of those things that sort of changes constantly, uh, as you know, you know, it, uh, uh, you know, as we said there, there's the pending cases where it runs off and does something, or maybe something over here happens and it triggers something over there. So is there a notification mechanism? Do I, you know, let's suppose I'm trying to draw that UI. Do I just listen for something and you say, hey, Ward, there's something uh, that changed in VEST that you should know about? How, how does that work? Mm -hmm. So um, this is pretty straightforward in terms of that. Um, when you create your suite, you get back your validation suite, you get back uh, a function that when you call it, it will immediately first run all the ACE or all the sync tests, all the synchronous tests, um, the synchronous tests, and just give you back the immediate results without all the pending validations. But also this, um, this object that you get has a done callback. So you can do dot done, um, which when the validation uh, is complete, will uh, run your callback that does whatever it is that you want, which is very similar um, to then, only that I did not want this to be a promise, but instead return you some value immediately and also do the async stuff later on. Okay. Uh, so it's imperative. Like when I run, so how do I kick off the validation? Uh, uh, because, you know, because it sounded like I had to run a function to then say, is it done? Um, rather than, you know, but people are typing and stuff like that. So how do I make the changes that users do, the whatever the heck that is, trigger validation and then listen for results coming back? I'm missing, I'm kind of missing something in the cycle there. When you run VEST, um, you usually do it from the context of a form validation and usually usually from a form change handler. Um, and in the change handler, you get your a new value and then you just call the vest function, the switch function um, with that new value, value. And then vest goes inside, does all the things and give you back the result. I see. Okay. So you, man you manage it by listening to the form. The basic idea is you listen for changes in the form. The form tells you about it. You call Vest. Vest says, da-da, this is what I think. And then you present or not as you wish. Got it. Exactly. Form interactivity and reactivity is something that the frameworks like do perfectly. And I don't think I need to intervene there uh, and like write my own custom mechanism for it if it already works so well. You know, I was going to ask, it sounds like you've really thought this through. <laughs> so there must be a little history behind this. Did you have, you know, scenarios where you were just like, I'm so sick of dealing with this and you, you know, that led to Vest or how'd this come about? 
It was, I think, 2015 or 2016. Um, I wasn't working at Facebook back then. Um, and we started uh, writing unit tests for our front-end code um, in my previous company. And I was like, at the same time, also working on a form and input-heavy uh, feature. And I was like, okay, I have this um, structure in unit tests that's a suite and a, a series of tests. And I was like, well, when I do unit tests, I basically take some function that returns a value and I check that its input matches what I want it to be. And it correlated exactly, like perfectly to the way I thought about uh, form validation at the time because I had some data and I wanted to pass like a series of tests, like is this username valid? Is it is this username too long, too short? Is this email valid? And I just want to see if they match these criteria. And I thought, well, if this structure uh, works so well for unit tests, and it does essentially the same, like with uh, some different constraints, could it work well for form validation in, uh, as well? And apparently, like, we're like seven years after, and yeah, it does work very well for formulation. Are you building a web application? Need to deliver it soon and don't have the people to do it? Maybe you're not sure your company has the skill set or experience to do it. And maybe we can help. I'm your host, Ward Bell, and my day job is building applications for companies like yours. I don't do it alone. I'm president of IdeaBlade, a consultancy that specializes in enterprise web application development. We're particularly strong in Angular, RxJS, NGRx Redux on the front end, and .NET and Microsoft technologies on the server. We're a small, tight-knit group of people handpicked by me for their expertise, experience, integrity, and team spirit. Maybe we can help you with architectural guidance and hands-on development. And if there's something we don't know, and in our field, really, there's too much to know, we can draw on our personal connections in the Microsoft RD, MVP, and Google GDE networks, as well as our international circle of really great developers, people we know and trust personally. If you've got a project that's keeping you up at night, shoot us an email at info at ideablade.com. That's info at ideablade.com. And now back to the show. So one of the things I wanted to ask was, let's say that, you know, Ward gave the example of you have a let's say a large form actively being filled out, but you have either composite or conditional validations that you need to enforce. Is it just uh, basically a concern of just writing code with, you know, if then statements to, to run them, or is there a different way of, of handling that situation? Um, can you clarify what you mean by if then statements? So uh, let me give you an, a, a, an example. Uh, let's suppose it's a a question, and if you answer it one way, like um, it's a um, it's uh, shoes, then you have a range of possible answers to what the qualifier is. You know what the sizes of the shoes are. But if I say shirt, well, I'm not going to use shoe sizes to measure. You know, so I have to have different validations for the qualifier about the item that I'm putting in there. So, so in that case, you could imagine you could have a if statement or some switch statement, you know, I think that's where Craig, you were kind of coming from, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Now I, now I got it. Um, so first of all, this is one of the most recurring, uh, question in the vast discord, uh, server. 
And this is for a reason, because unlike most types of validation, it involves a lot of internal business logic that Best knows nothing about. It doesn't know that in certain conditions, some fields have to be optional or skipped altogether. Um, and then you have to tell Vest that this is the case. And what Vest does is it comes with a very simple little function, which is called optional. You put it at the top of the suite and you say, well, this field, for example, um, uh, the shoe size is optional. And then you specify the conditional, for example, when some value is true. And then when Vest goes in and iterates over the different fields internally, then they will be ignored um, because they do not meet the criteria. And then um, you save up on performance. And that, and that makes sense. What, what if it's something that's not optional, though? So let's say you select country, and then from there you have to type in a region name, and that's a freeform text, you know, whatever. Um, so would you still use optional at that point or like how would you format something like that? There are multiple ways for skipping or omitting fields. Um, and what if, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I fully understand what you mean by not optional then. You have one field and then you type inside the other one, but not the other way around. Is that what you meant? Uh, yeah, well, I was just uh, keying off of how you described when you create the suite, you you set up certain things as optional. Um, but so, yeah, if, if you have a field that you must answer, but then the value to that is conditional based off of whatever your original selection was, right? So, so they're both required, but one is requires some sort of business logic in order to validate whether or not it's it's right. So I'll just say that invest we do not do um, uh, if or else statements or do not conditionally run fields like by omitting them completely via JavaScript um, conditionals. And this is because internally it works a lot like React hooks. It's inspired a lot um, to save up on performance. And I can actually talk a little bit about that. Um, and what we do instead, we have a wrapper for tests that's um, similar to that optional on the top, but it's more... Um, it's more scoped and you wrap some tests with a skip when conditional. And you say skip that field when, and then you can say when some field, some other field is not valid yet. Um, and only when that valid is, uh, that other field is valid, um, that field will be actually tested. And for the rest of the time, it will be ignored. And uh, how closely tied to the HTML form elements is vest. So are we just looking at values at this point or are you looking at the input element to dis to make these distinctions? Vest um, has no knowledge of HTML or the DOM or any other thing. It takes in the data and you may want to pass the values as the input names because then it's going to make your life way easier uh, when you try to send the results back. Um, to the client, but Vest, just as well as it runs on the browser, it can also run um, on React Native, for example, because it runs on with JavaScript, or it can run on Node for uh, your API. That was exactly where I was going with that. <laughs> so yeah, you have all these same concerns when you're building an API, so you can use it in that context as well. That's that's awesome. Do you have any advice on how you would recommend folks to use Vest if they had an asynchronous type of validation scenario? Um, it took a, it took a while to actually make this work. 
Um, but when I landed on a solution, it was very similar to how you write async tests with Jest or Mocha. And all you do is return a promise from your uh, test, from your validation test. And when the, when the promise resolves, um, the validation is valid or passing. And when the, val- when the promise rejects, then the validation is failing. And if you don't want to use promises, you can also use async await, which is essentially the same thing. And I assume that your framework uh, supports the occasional oops in my code where I have an asynchronous process and I never actually resolve or answer the process. <laughs> this is a tough one to do because if I decide to do that similar to the way Jess does and what they do is like they start a timer and if you don't resolve by a certain amount of time, um, it will crash or fail the, uh, the test. But in Vest, it's a bit harder to do because I don't know who is the server that's running the validation or we're running against. I don't know where they reside or what their timeout is. So I do not set up a timeout. But if there is some race condition or stuff like I type something and they, then I type another thing, yeah, I ignore that whatever um, whatever is coming back from that previous um, promise. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I get in this because, you know, obviously most of the time we talk about testing and we talk about this test testing in multiple formats in the show in the past. Uh, not quite like this, but the simplest tests are the ones we I kind of link to demos that we see uh, at conferences. Oh, yeah, here's Hello World and here's a form. And the only thing we ever check for is required or not. And you know, those are the easy cases, but the, the real life stuff are the things like, you know, Ward and Craig are talking about these conditionals or asynchronous data tests, or I have to go check a server or actually comparing two different fields on the same form with each other, like a date range. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in the real life, as we all know, we, we have these more complicated scenarios and it looks like from the documentation that Vest handles a lot of these. Um, am I wrong? Am I right? What, is that, is that the right framework that you'd recommend for all these scenarios, Eviatar? I will definitely recommend trying out fast and see if it works for your situation. Um, and so far, I never got like, well, Vest doesn't do this for me or Vest doesn't do that. Um, it's mostly how do I do that with Vest? And usually it's like a matter of a short explainer on Discord. So yeah. Definitely. Evitar, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing this. I, I, I admit I haven't tried Vest before, but I am going to try it out. Uh, I do wear Vest occasionally, but I have never used Vest for a test framework. So I'll tell you later on if it's best. And I do not jest. So anyway, lest we not continue too much longer on these bad puns, let's go into our final thoughts for the audience. Today, our final thought will start with the incomparable Dan Walleen. How you doing, Dan? You know, I'm doing great, John, and and your humor has just taken this show up to a whole nother level. So uh, I I think my uh, final thought then is going to be related to that because uh, I'm in a lot of meetings, like a lot of you folks probably are too at work. And uh, some folks just tend to take things way too serious in meetings. So I think my final thought is going to be lighten it up, people. Um, it's okay to joke in a meeting and I think most people actually appreciate it. So that's, that's my final thought. Agree or not. That's fine. (laughs) That's, that's a good final thought. And I feel quite blessed to hear it. Craig, your final thought. 
What do you get when you cross an elderly lady and a duck? I don't know. Tell us. <laughs> a graham quacker. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> See, I'm lighting it up for you right here, right now, Dan. <laughs> Ward, <laughs> what is your final thought? <laughs> Did you top that, Ward? Uh, I'm so disgusted by you guys. You can't. Come on. This is a serious podcast. And how are we going to get? Uh, really? So actually, I, I have an editorial about this, which is, I, you know, I was thinking about this and, and we talked about it periodically. You know, when you're just learning things and it's always doing the demo, they throw the required in the minute and stuff like that. Uh, well, you know, that this is one of those things where you just don't appreciate it until it's too late. Uh, I, you know, you write your code and you start throwing those simple validations in there and then you start hand wiring your own and month month or two goes by, you don't realize you needed to take this approach, whether it's Vest or something similar, something where you abstract out the validation uh, until it's kind of late and now you got to go back and do it. And I guess you could say better late than never because you're going to you're going to have to. But I really um, appreciate that you've tackled this and sort of called it out as a as an area that needs attention and where we so often uh, wait too long to wake up to the reality. So good on you. Good on you. Yeah. You know, Ward, that is a treasure chest of good advice. Evutar, what is your final thought for the audience? He's got us the his rhyming dictionary out or what? I've got to go. <laughs> You're the best. Uh, yeah. So I wanted to share some uh, library that I came across recently working on Vest. Um, so working on Vest, I got a shout out from a guy called called uh, Rob Levin, who is the maintainer and author of a library called Agnostic UI, which gives you like, uh, it's fairly new and it gives you a set of primitives, like components that work across like all frameworks, like React, Vue, Angular, Svelte, um, Solid, and it looks really amazing, really promising. It's fairly new and well, I, it looks awesome, I think. I've checked that out. Well, out here in the West, we're on a quest to don our vests and be blessed. Uh, yeah. At your behest. Well, on that note, everybody, uh, thank you for sticking around for our puns today <laughs> and for sticking around for our really bad humor. Apologize for that. But thank you all. Well, we had a great guest. This show is really messed. And, and a great, great topic. Abiyasar, thank you. Yeah, no, that was a really good topic. Thank you. Thank you all. So thank you all for coming on the show. And thank you all for listening to yet another episode of Web Rush. We have four wonderful sponsors of our show. Ionic, Narwhal, AG Grid, and sometimes Idea Blade. Thank you, Ward, for sponsoring us there. And thank you all for listening to us for yet another week. You keep us on the air. You keep us here. You keep us with our jesting. See you next time. <laughs>